Hello, EB Online Church family. Whether you're watching us from home or from the beach, maybe you're in your car or somewhere here on our campus, wherever you may be, thanks so much for making us part of your day. And let me give a special hello to my good buddy, Jensen Robertson. Thanks for watching, Jensen. I love you, man. Now, over the last two weeks, we have engaged in some weighty conversations dealing with our need as a nation, community, and church to come together on race. And I've tried to approach these lessons with great care and concern, being sure to choose my words carefully, knowing that the subject of race and racial equality is a hot-button issue no matter a person's color. Now normally, before we jump into the deep end of the conversation pool, I like to give a heads up, a caution, and say, hey look, we're going to be talking about a subject that's going to be challenging and at times uncomfortable. But the sudden event surrounding the death of George Floyd on Memorial Weekend just did not allow for such advanced preparation. So these past few weeks I have attempted in a limited way to acknowledge and address the strife and pain that's going on around us and present what I believe to be God's guidance. I did this knowing full well that when all is said and done, there would be those who believe that I had said too much and, and others who believe that I had said too little. And I'm okay with that. The subjects of race, diversity, and equality are ones that deserve much more discussion, prayer, and study. And I look forward to future conversations that we can have together and talk about these issues. I do not believe it chance that we have been engaged in a series called Coming Together. The fact that we have been studying how God created each of us for human connection during this time of social disconnection is not a coincidence. So I'm thankful for the leading of the Spirit, knowing what our congregation needed most to hear at this time. Today I'm going to ask you to put on your big boy or your big girl pants one more time as we consider God's expectation for our community and our church family. Now last week we said that Jesus was the master embracer, that he was able to connect with and relate to wide-ranging groups of people. He could talk deep theology with Nicodemus one minute and then go share a meal with Matthew and his rowdy friends the next. He had this godlike ability to read people and know exactly what to say and do. To a woman who was embarrassed and facing execution due to her indiscretions and others' hypocrisy, he said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. To a young man that was wrapped up tight in his righteous accomplishments and material accumulations, he said, there's still one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and then come follow me. To a woman who refused to allow societal and gender barriers keep her from asking for help, he said, you have great faith. And when he met a leper who believed that he would never feel another gentle caress, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. Jesus saw beyond a person's color, gender, social status, occupation, religion, sickness, and sinfulness. He was not fooled by hidden agendas, pious questions, or false bravado. He saw what made another person tick. He understood what those around him needed the most, and he responded to each and every need with grace and truth, always merciful and always just. Jesus was the master embracer. And he expected his followers to learn from him how to relate to and how to treat other people. Now, Matthew gave us a great snapshot of Jesus' expectation when he wrote that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
Do you know what quality I think separated Jesus most from the religious people of his day? It's the same quality that if lacking among his people today causes us to become judgmental and callous to the world around us. Jesus saw people. Jesus saw people for who they were, not for what they did. Jesus saw a person's eternal worth, not their fleeting sins. A person's current condition was more important to him than their past performance. Rich, poor, young, old, male, female, Jew, Gentile, none of those cultural markers overshadowed what he saw. Jesus saw people. He saw flesh and blood. He saw fingers and and toes. He saw brown eyes and black hair. He saw calluses and wrinkles. He saw laugh lines and tear tracks. Jesus saw people. And when Jesus looked into a person's eyes, he saw how in the beginning God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Value, worth, potential, perfection. This is what Jesus saw. And this is why, as his followers, we cannot belittle, marginalize, or exclude another person. For we all bear the image of God, and we must see all other people as God's holy creation. Matthew records that Jesus was moved with compassion because a lifetime of sin and selfishness, choices and consequences, anger and animosity had taken its toll. And now the people that he saw were harassed and helpless and they had no one to care for them. So he turns to his disciples and using an agricultural word picture says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus tells his followers that there are not enough people working for the betterment of others and that their prayers should not be for the hurting and helpless, but for more workers to show up and confront the evil and pain that exist in the lives of the people. Jesus sees the people. He sees their needs, and he looks to his followers and basically says, stop praying for, analyzing, and categorizing these people and and go involve yourself in their lives. Seeing should lead to embracing, and embracing should lead to healing. And this is such an important message for us to hear today. There are people all around us who are hurting, Due to the impact of everything from coronavirus to natural disasters to racial inequality, the pain is real in the hearts of people who over the last three and a half months have lost loved ones, lost property, lost jobs, lost senior experiences. People have protested, rioted, cried, and shouted. People are afraid to leave their homes and join in big crowds for fear of getting sick. And people are afraid to say the wrong thing on social media for fear of getting ridiculed. People are angry. People are sad. People are anxious. People are lonely. People are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Our world, our country, our state, our city, our neighborhoods are in need of workers who will show up and confront the evil and pain that exists in the lives of people. We, we each must ask individually, am I willing to show up? Am I willing to show up for the person who is in need, for the person who is hurting? Now, normally the answer to this question is a wholehearted yes. But attached to that yes is often an unspoken phrase beginning with the tiny preposition if. Help someone? Sure. If the person is like me. 
Give money to someone? Yes. If the person looks like me. Worship with someone? Yeah. If the person believes like me. Talk with someone? Sure. If the person votes like I do. Friends, our empathy, our willingness to engage, our willingness to feel cannot be contingent upon another's look, lifestyle, or likes. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are compelled to show up with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, no matter who the other person is or what the other person's life looks like. Now, this is where things got a little prickly between Jesus and the religious of his day. The religious culture that surrounded Jesus absolutely believed that another's look, lifestyle, or likes should disqualify them from holy help. The religious leaders in Jesus' day believed their refusal to associate with people who did not live up to their standards was the highest proof of their devotion to God. The righteous had to separate themselves from the outcast. And the more spiritual you tried to be, well, the bigger the category of outcast got. People were excluded not just based on righteousness, but based on ethnicity, gender, physical problems, or for practicing what were called despised trades. The righteous believed that the essence of spiritual maturity lay in excluding people. Now, about 25 verses earlier in Matthew's text, Jesus' disciples were asked by some Pharisees why in the world Jesus would eat with tax collectors and sinners. Now, the disciples were new at this kind of thing, and, and they were probably wondering the same thing. I mean, this went against many of their upbringings and temple talks. After all, if Jesus is going to embrace people who look and act like these people, well, someone might start to think that he was soft on sin. And why, the next thing you know, he'll be embracing Gentiles and talking to women. Now, by the way, I, I've heard that very argument through the years. Share a lesson about embracing, teach on equality, and there are always those within the church, no less, that say, now be careful, preacher. You don't want people to get the wrong idea. Because it sounds to me like you're saying that we should just throw open the doors and, and let everyone in. So let me be clear. I don't want to give people the wrong idea. I don't want anyone to misunderstand what I'm saying or not saying. We need to throw open the doors and let everyone in. Every color, every race, every language, every man, every woman, every child. And yes, they're going to come with their sins and with all their baggage and with all their needs. But God has spoken clearly through the words and actions of Jesus on this subject. And when God clearly speaks, it should silence all other voices. So throw open the doors and embrace like Jesus. That's as clear as I know to be. Jesus told the Pharisees who questioned his embracement strategy, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He's talking to guys who had PhDs in Bible. And he's telling them, you guys need to go back and read your Bible. You need to go back and study. And can I add that it wouldn't be a bad idea for us as well? to go and learn what it means to desire mercy over sacrifice. I believe that Jesus is distressed when mercy isn't stressed. And his critics' chief problem was a mercy problem. 
They were so afraid of being soft on sin that they readily accepted being light on mercy. And I've heard the conversations. If we talk about embracing someone, um, somebody else is liable to think that we just agree with every belief and political talking point and condone every action, that anything goes. Why do we jump to such extremes? Since when did acting like Jesus become a bad thing? And since when did Jesus ever condone sin? Or do we, like the Pharisees of old, believe that Jesus was soft on sin? Do we secretly wish that we would have thrown a stone or two at the adulterous woman or refused to go and eat with Zacchaeus? Friends, Jesus believed in sin. He saw it for what it was, a destroyer of lives, foreign matter, not a part of the original design. And so he offered mercy to people who deserve judgment. Jesus looked around the dinner table and he saw Matthew and his friends and he saw them as people who were harassed and helpless. He never discounted their sinful situation, but he did object to the idea that anyone was beyond embracing. You know, I've never been surprised by God's judgment, but I'm still stunned by his grace. God's judgment has never been a problem for me. In fact, it's always seemed right. Lightning bolts on Sodom, fire on Gomorrah, great. Egyptians swallowed in the Red Sea, well, I guess they had it coming, right? Forty years of wandering to loosen the stiff necks of the Israelites, well, I might have done that myself. Ananias and Sapphira, good job, God. Discipline and punishment are easy for me to swallow, logical to assimilate, manageable and appropriate. But God's mercy and grace, I still can't process it. You need some examples? How much more time do we have? Peter denied Christ before he preached Christ. Zacchaeus, the crook, well, the cleanest part of his life was the money that he laundered, but Jesus still embraced him. The thief on the cross hung out to die one minute, and then he was heaven-bound and smiling the next. Story after story, surprise after surprise, search the pages, read the stories. I challenge you to find one soul who came to God seeking grace and did not find it. Search the pages. Read the stories. Find one person who came seeking a second chance and left with a stern lecture. I dare you, search. You won't find it. You will find a, a strayed sheep on the other side of the creek. He's lost. Maybe he's just enjoying the next blade of grass with no thought of his predicament. Or, or maybe he's stuck and embarrassed, wondering what the other sheep will say or what the shepherd will do. Turns out the shepherd leaves the other sheep in the pen. It's not that they are unimportant to him, but the sheep which is lost carries the same value. So the shepherd goes in search and finds him. <laughs> and oh boy, put your hooves over your eyes for this. The wool's about to fly, but the rebuke is never felt. Just hands. Large, open hands reaching under his body and lifting the sheep up, up, up until he's placed upon the shepherd's shoulders. He's carried back to the flock and given a party. Cut the grass and comb the wool, the shepherd announces. We are going to have a celebration. And the other sheep, well, they just shake their heads in disbelief. Just like we will at our party when we get home. When we watch the shepherd shoulder into our midst one unlikely soul after another. You know, it seems to me God gives a lot more grace than is expected. And shouldn't we do the same? Now look, I'm not for watering down the truth or compromising the gospel. But if God can embrace me with my mistakes, can I embrace others? 
If God can overlook your errors, can't you overlook the errors of others? If God allows us with our foibles and failures to call him father, shouldn't we extend the same grace to others? One thing's for sure. When we all get to heaven, it will not be because we were good here, but because Christ was great on Calvary. And when we get to heaven, I have no doubt that we will be surprised at some of the folks that we see. And some of them will be surprised to see us. Friends, Jesus saw people. And he helped them identify what kind of people God created them to be. Jesus didn't start with the condition of the person, but with the commitment of a God who offers damaged people a relationship to become the people they were intended. Think about it. Jesus didn't confront Zacchaeus about his thieving practices. He offered him relationship, and that changed the wee little man. Jesus didn't remind the woman caught in adultery that she broke the Ten Commandments. He didn't have to. He set her free from condemnation so that she could go and sin no more. He offered a chance to live a new life, embracing another, seeking common ground, building relationship, restoring value. This was Jesus' response to people. Now, wouldn't that be a great mission to continue as a church? What would happen if you went into your workplace, your neighborhood, your home, your church building, and really started seeing people like Jesus did? What if you were unshocked by the sin, motivated by mercy, and committed to restoring value? You know, we must learn to, I think, to hold a new framework in our minds. Can you see the image of God in every person? Can you imagine God's original intention for someone's life? Perhaps God may need to chip away some of your rough spots to get you looking more like Jesus than a Pharisee. Are you willing to let him? Embracing is an act of the heart. It means that you see another person and are concerned about their well-being. Embracing another human doesn't mean that we refuse to confront or challenge any sin which could harm and damage their soul. It simply means that we refuse to confront or challenge their value as a member of the human race. To embrace someone is to affirm to them that you see them and that you think it's a very good thing that they are alive. We communicate this in a hundred ways, but the most powerful way is to show up with compassion, mercy, and action when they need it the most. People all around us are hurting. The Lord of the harvest has been asked to send workers. He's chosen you to, to show up. Show up for someone this week. Show up for someone of a different race. Show up for someone who worships differently. Show up for someone who votes differently. Show up for someone who lives differently. Show up for others the way that God has showed up time and again for you. It's been great to be with you today. Let's continue what Jesus began.